This holiday treat is enjoyed in many different countries across Europe, but it's especially common in Russia and Lithuania. It's made from the juice of the poplar berry of the land and has a consistency that can vary from a liquid to thick enough to eat with a spoon. During the holidays, it's enjoyed on Christmas Eve, but it's available all year round. We're exploring the history and origins of Kissel. I'm your host, Glenn Warren, and welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. Seasons Eatings is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you download your favorite podcast. So please take a moment and subscribe so we can have other listeners join us at the Christmas table. If you have a quick minute, please leave a review for the podcast. It lets me know how I'm doing as well as helps others find the podcast. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker as a personal thank you. Seasons Eatings can also be found on all the socials. All these links can be found on our website, seasonseatingspodcast.com. And while you're at the site, if you're feeling extra generous this holiday, you can buy me an eggnog. Every donation goes towards the running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. And finally, you can let me know how I'm doing, leave a suggestion for future episodes, or just say hello at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. Desserts can be a sweet way to end a good meal, and the holidays aren't the same without some treats. But while many desserts can be described as satisfying, decadent, or delicious, few can boast the added distinction of being legendary. One that can is the Russian dish known as kissel. It has a similarity to the popular North American dessert of Jell-O brand gelatin, but it's a soft, fruit-based dessert generally made from berries, sugar, and is thickened with cornstarch or potato starch. It originally started out as a kind of porridge made with a local grain or sometimes even legumes, but it has evolved into a fruit dessert. An early reference to this food with this name provides a recipe that's a bit different from the widely known one today, with a kind of gelatinous porridge made from oats and sweetened with sita, a sort of honey diluted with water. Kissel's mythical properties stem from a tale in the Primary Chronicle, an ancient Russian text compiled in the 12th century. Its name is derived from a Slavic word meaning sour, after a similar old Slavic dish, a leavened flour porridge or weak sourdough, which was made from grain, most commonly oats, but any grain or even legumes like peas or lentils could be used, although bean kissels usually were not leavened, and lacked the sweetness of the modern variants. 
Kissel is first mentioned in the Old East Slavic Primary Chronicle, where there's a story of how it saved the 10th century Russian city of Belgorod Kivsky. Besieged by nomadic Pechnegs in 997, the siege was thus prolonged, and the famine grew increasingly severe. The inhabitants thus held a council in the city and said among themselves, We are about to die of hunger, and no aid is to be expected from the prince. Is it not better to die? Let us surrender to the Pechnegs and let them spare some, though they kill others. We are perishing of famine as it is. Thus they came to a decision. But one old man was not present at the council and inquired what it was about. The people told him that on the morrow they would surrender to the Peshnegs. Upon hearing this decision, he summoned the city elders and remarked that he understood they intended to surrender to the nomads. They replied that the people would not endure the famine. Then the ancient said, Listen to me. Do not surrender for three days and do as I tell you. They gladly promised to obey, and he directed them to collect a measure of oats, wheat, or bran apiece. They gladly went in search of these supplies. Then he bade the women prepare the liquid with which they brew porridge and ordered them to dig a pit. In this pit he, made, he bade them to place a tub and to pour the liquid into the tub. Then he ordered them to dig a second pit and place the tub in the latter likewise. He next commanded them to bring honey, so they fetched a basket of honey that was stored in the prince's storeroom. He then bade them to dilute it greatly and to pour into the tub in the other pit. Upon the morrow he directed them to send messengers to the Pechnegs. Citizens went forth to the Pechnegs, offered them hostages, so that ten of the nomads should come into the city to see what was happening in their town. The Pechnegs rejoiced, thinking that they wished to surrender. They therefore accepted the hostages and selected the chief men of their own party, whom they sent into the city to look over the town and learn what was occurring. The Pashneg representatives entered the town, and the inhabitants said to them, Why do you waste your strength? You cannot overcome us if you besiege us for ten years. We secure our sustenance from the earth. If you do not believe it, behold it with your own eyes. They thus conducted the Pashneg envoys to the pit where the brew was, then drew up some in a pail and poured it into the pots. After they had brewed porridge, they conducted the Peshnegs to the other pit. They hauled up the buckets, and after eating them for themselves, offered them to the Peshnegs. The latter was astonished and exclaimed, Our princes will not believe this marvel unless they eat of the food themselves. So they poured out a bowl of brew and buckets of mead from the pits and gave them to the Peshnegs, who returned to their camp and recounted all that had happened. After brewing the porridge, the Peshneg princes ate it and were amazed, and upon recovering their own hostages and returning those given by the city, they raised the siege and returned home. This fermented porridge sounds similar to a previous episode I did about Sowens, which was a fermented 
oat drink in Scotland. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. Kissel also has a small role in Russian Orthodox mourning rites. After a funeral, the family and friends of the departed meet at a relative's home for a meal, and Kissel is usually traditionally the first refreshment served. The food also plays a role in Russian proverbs. The phrase, the seventh water on Kissel, is used to describe someone who's a distant relative. Russians also reserve to heaven or paradise as a place having milky rivers flowing past Kissel banks. You can actually get instant Kissel mix in packets available today in many supermarkets and grocery stores, but many argue that their traditional methods taste the best. The primary way to make Kissel is to combine the preferred starch or flour with water add the mashed fruit of choice, and then boil the mixture. There are many different recipes available for making kissel at home. Some are fairly simple, but others can be a bit more complex. So we'll learn how to make kissel and a recent attempt to bring it into the 21st century after the break. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save If you've ever wondered about the history of Santa Claus, the traditions behind a Christmas tree, or what people leave out for Santa in Eastern Europe, then you're probably a lot like me. My name's Jeff, and I absolutely love Christmas. Join me on the Lost Christmas Podcast and learn about the people, traditions, mysteries, food, celebrations, and all manner of history around the holiday season we all love. At the end of each episode, I also read a little bit from The Lost Years of Santa Claus, a book which fills in the gaps that we have in the story of our beloved gift giver. What do you like about Christmas? The music, the movies, the traditions, the food, the history, all of the above? Then the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is for you. Tune in every month to hear a marginally successful stand-up comedian dig into topics like Charlie Brown Christmas, Bing Crosby, Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, Jingle Bells, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, The Christmas Truce of World War I, Die Hard, Bethlehem, Gift of the Magi, Haunted Mansion Holiday, Andy Williams, Christmas Lights, Nativity Scenes, Nat King Cole, Before Christmas, Toys R Us, Silent Night, Hell the Grinch, She's going to take way too long to cover all the stuff we've talked about. Just join us at Can't Wait for Christmas Pod on the 25th of every month for the Can't Wait for Christmas Podcast, where our motto is, keep laughing all the way. Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself. 
With personalized lessons and expert coaching, Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. And while kissel can be made with most berries, cranberry kissel is most common during the holidays. Cranberries are what some may consider one of the quintessential holiday fruits. You can't have a holiday turkey without cranberry sauce on the side. So I hope that this recipe will hopefully add another reason to have cranberries during the holidays. So to make cranberry kissel, you need about half a pound of cranberries, uh, a quart of water, some sugar, two tablespoons of potato flour or cornstarch, and that's it. So rinse your cranberries if they're fresh. You can also use frozen, but thaw them out first and boil them in the water. So wait for the berries to burst and then strain and force the fruit through a sieve. You want to keep the liquid and the pulp. You just don't want the skins of the cranberry. It's a bit too chewy. So you can reheat this juice and pulp and mix in uh, enough sugar to taste. So if you like your cranberries a bit more tart, have a little bit of sugar. If you like it a bit more sweet, add a little bit more sugar. Then you mix your potato starch with cold water or corn starch with cold water and slowly stir that into the juice until it's thickened. It should be the consistency of a thick syrup. Then you pour the hot kissel in a serving dish, sprinkle with a little sugar to avoid forming a skin on top. Cover it up and cool in the refrigerator and later you can top it with some whipped cream. Cranberries naturally have a pectin in the skins to thicken the sauce, but the addition of the cornstarch or potato starch help give that extra layer of stability. You can find more information about cranberries as a side dish in one of my side dish episodes. The side dish episodes are actually bonus episodes I put out during the burr months of the year, so that's any month ending in B-E-R as a special treat for the last part of the year. So I'll put another link to that episode in the show notes. So how does cornstarch or potato starch help thicken a sauce? So cornstarch is a fine, odorless, flavorless white powder derived from the endosperm of the corn kernel. And like rice grains, corn kernels consist of multiple layers. You have an outer protective layer called the hull, the germ, and the endosperm, and the exposed tip cap, which is the point of where the kernel attaches to the corn cob. The starchy flesh of the endosperm comprises about 82% of the kernel's weight and contains all of that naturally natural starch that's in the plant. You know, when you have popcorn, that's the endosperm is the fluffy white part of the popcorn. It makes it taste good when it's doused in all that butter and salt. 
And these days, corn starch is made by a process called wet milling. So you take shelled corn and it's cleaned and steeped in large tanks in a warm, slightly acidic solution of water and sulfur dioxide. This solution softens the kernel, which makes it easier to mill. The water is then boiled off and the milling process loosens the hull and the endosperm from the germ. So after passing it through a series of grinders and screens, the endosperm is now isolated and pressed into a slurry, which contains mostly of pure cornstarch. When dried, this starch is unmodified. So it can be refined even more by making modified starches intended by for specific cooking applications. So humans as a species, we've been using starch in both cooking and non-cooking applications for thousands of years, dating as far back as pre-dynastic Egypt. But cornstarch didn't really come into prominence until about the 1840s when Thomas Kingsford isolated cornstarch from corn kernels by using that existing process called the wet milling. Kingsford method involved soaking the kernels in an alkaline solution, then grinding them. So that's the beginnings of what we know now as wet milling. At the time, Kingsford intended the product to be used as a laundry starch. So if you watch old movies and stuff, they have, um, they say, if you give your shirt to the dry cleaners, they ask for extra starch. So that's to keep the collar stiff and standing upright. So that's what they originally wanted cornstarch to be used for. So the practice of starching your clothes added a soft but crisp texture to fabrics and improved the resistance to being soiled. It wasn't until the 1850s that cornstarch became useful as a food additive. So cornstarch, as I said before, is a starch, which means it's a collection of semi-crystalline granules of starch molecules called polysaccharides. These molecules exist in different proportions depending on the starch source. But the key to nearly all of cornstarch functional properties is gelatinization. So that's the breaking down of the starch molecules with heat and water. So allowing those molecules to bond with more water. So as you hydrate and heat the cornstarch, the starch granules swell and soften and they lose their hard crystalline structure. So eventually, if you go further enough, those granules will burst and the amylopectin leaches out into the surrounding water and the mixture thickens. So eventually, when that same mixture is cooled, it gradually becomes thicker. Cornstarch actually begins to gelatinize around in water around 144 degrees Fahrenheit to 160 degrees Fahrenheit, which is around 60 to 70 degrees Celsius, and fully gelatinizes around 200 degrees Fahrenheit, around 95 degrees Celsius. But you've also heard that if you're cooking, you shouldn't fully boil cornstarch for too long because the starch will start to thin out. So why does this happen? Well, prolonged excessive heat can actually degrade those starch molecules 
eventually decrease the potential thickening power, which leads to a thinner sauce than you would expect. So for this reason, it's wise to add the cornstarch toward the end of the cooking. And also dilute your cornstarch with water before you add it to your fruit sauce. So that way the cornstarch is spread out evenly throughout the sauce. If you just sprinkle the cornstarch on top of the sauce, you'll get clumps of cornstarch in sections and sometimes it won't dissolve completely. And of course, the sweetness of Kissel can always be adjusted to according to each taste. And some people love a sweeter one and others like it more acidic. I'm kind of in the middle. But the only advice that I have for making Kissel is to don't, please don't overboil it. If you want to make a good and thick Kissel, don't forget this. Pour your starch in a thin stream, bring the Kissel to a boil, and then take it off the stove. If the starch overboils, the kissel won't get thick and remain liquid. Recently, a Lithuanian design agency called Folk, F-O-L-K, gave a holiday makeover to the beloved kissel. The agency ditched the traditional powder mix and created a brand new product called Slippery Business, and it's in a tin can, specifically designed for the revamped drink formula. However, the design agency felt the conventional drink packaging lacked some festive charm and should be given the justice it deserves in a specially made tin casing. The agency was involved in formulating the modern yet well-known flavor and adapting tin casing to the drink's unique texture. The tin is filled with the non-fizzy drink of Kissel and is actually softer than a regular tin can and there therefore allowing the person to feel the Kissel's texture without even tasting it. Traditions have a tendency to change over time, even during the biggest holidays of the year. Several past years have shown us that you can join everyone for a festive dinner through a smart device or order international dishes instead of traditional ones, said Ignas Kozlovas, creative director at Folk. Not many things stay the same in these changing times, but Kissel remains a national treasure every single Christmas. However, the drink is too good to be enjoyed only once a year, and we believe the new tin packaging might give it a chance to make it an after-holiday comeback. In Russia, the most popular Kissel flavors are cranberry, cherry, and red currant. Cranberry Kissel in Lithuania is a traditional meal on Christmas Eve supper. And in Finland, kissel is often made of bilberry, since those can be found growing wild in the forest and are thus both easy to gather and free, as well as from prunes, apricots, and strawberries. The thickness can vary depending on how much potato flour or potato starch is used. A thin bilberry soup is most easily consumed by drinking, while the thickest version is almost like a jelly and is eaten with a spoon. Rhubarb can also be used, but it's often combined with strawberries to make it less tart. There's even a queen's kissel and it's made with mixed berries and berry juices, usually at least bilberries and raspberries. Or a prune kissel and it's traditionally eaten with rice pudding at Christmas. Kissel continues to be enjoyed today in many forms and varieties. It can be hot or cold, 
firm or liquid, and made using many different kinds of fruits. Kissel can be served in a cup for drinking, or in a can, or in a bowl to be eaten with a spoon, and usually topped with a sweet cream. Kissel can be used as a topping for also waffles or pancakes. Other countries have similar desserts. Uh, it's similar to the Danish rodgrot or German rotogrutze, which is made with any local red berry. The Danish version is translated into red groats, which gives you a clue about its origins of cooking with the hulled kernels of various grains, such as oats, rye, wheat, or barley. Swedish bablaslopa is a similarly prepared bilberry dessert, although only fresh or frozen bilberries are used. Interestingly, the Swedish name for this dessert translates into blueberry soup, although they're not the kind of blueberries you get in North American markets, but are related by genus, the Vaccininium, and are known as European blueberries. So there are many different versions of Kissel. There are savory and grain versions, but the fruit variety always wins out during the holidays. So grab your favorite fruit and treat your family to this unique dessert this holiday season. Thank you for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And please, if you can leave a review about the show so you can spread the Christmas cheer. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eatings sticker as a personal thank you. Also, I would love to hear from you. Send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. Let me know how you like the show, suggestions for future episodes, or just to say hi. And I know we all get busy, so even sharing the podcast with someone you know who loves Christmas would be a big help. And if you're feeling extra generous this holiday season, you can buy me an eggnog. Head on over to SeasonsEatingsPodcast.com and click on the little cup in the corner. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. Seasons Eatings also has great items for you or your loved ones for the holiday season. So head on over to SeasonsEatings.com, click on the Merchandise tab, and find your next great gift. I'm your host, Glenn Warren. Thank you for listening, and tune in again for another serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is also part of the Christmas Podcast Network. Whatever interest you have with the holidays, there's probably a podcast out there covering that topic. You can find Seasons Eatings with all the other podcasts at Christmas Podcasts, Com. Drop on by to find your next podcast addiction. All music for Seasons Eatings is used under the Creative Commons license. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. 
Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.